Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join T2 and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson. And me, Spencer Locker. Spence. Hey up. Hey up there, mate. All right. Yeah, good are you. Yeah, 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 all good. good all st- good. Good stuff, mate. Um podcast time we're going to do two back-to-backs yeah but this one 30 minutes power minutes on triggers triggers now now because because this is one of our sort of core things isn't it this is something we we generally talk about with with all our our clients we we it's it's the root of of what we talk about when we start talking about unconscious motivators so yeah i mean anybody who's ever done the uh human iceberg work with us or the print work uh, the print profiling in particular, uh, it gives you your unconscious motivators and drivers. It gives you, therefore, then what you look like in your best self when you have them met. But it also gives you uh, a bit of a picture of what you look like when when you're in your shadow, which yeah. is your, you know, let's face it, your pissed off version, you know, yeah. your, your, your counterproductive state. Um, but the triggers part of the analysis is really interesting because what triggers say is that these are the isolated incidents and events that are unique to you as a person that will absolutely compromise your motivations, you know, what you stand for, your values, and therefore it's going to really send you into that angry, frustrated, irritable state where it's not going to serve you well. So triggers are the things that are unique to you. Everybody has a unique set of triggers that will absolutely make or break your mood, right? I'll give you a couple of my triggers, Spence. <laughs> a couple of my, what are you laughing at? <laughs> you? No, no, I'm going to kidding. I'll give you a couple of my triggers. Um, slow moving progress. People who are just too slow to act and a lack of pace. Um, I think that really gets me. Um, I think other things like, you know, aggressive confrontational people to myself. So if anybody's going to take me on in front of the group or undermine me or try and, you know, yeah. that gets my chimp out and yeah. obviously I get triggered by that. And there's an array of stuff with me, competence, you know, um, I'm very impatient about everything. Um, so I think, you know, triggers are unique to me, but then if you look at your triggers, yours might not be the same list. Some of the stuff I've just said about people who take their time and, and, don't operate at pace and lack of progress. That's so much that doesn't bother you. Actually, that's quite comfortable for you, right? That's that's the way you like to operate. Yeah. But give me a couple of your triggers. Well, yeah, I mean, um, spe- specific triggers. Yeah. Um, people t- people talking over other people. Yes. Uh, that really, and and you know what? We we talk about we put this in a business sense, don't we? We we put it in when we're working with organisations. We we sort of pitch it because it's pitched. Because the, the organization is paying for them to come on onto this particular course. But the light bulb moment is we're talking about them. So these triggers aren't limited to the workplace. It can be outside the workplace as well. And let's face it, some of us get triggered outside the workplace and then drag that into the workplace. Yeah, we? yeah. Yes. So talking over people is a classic trigger. You know, for some people, uh, my wife, for example, her triggers are like insensitive behavior. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're speaking to somebody in a derogatory way or even not derogatory, but if you're just a bit too cutting and direct and you're not considering other people's feelings, Mm. some people in the workplace, it's about 
organization and perfectionism and structure when detail, the attention to the detail is not there and we've not got plans and structure. For some people, it's when people who are under your wing are treated unfairly yeah. by other members of staff and mm-hmm. doesn't sit right with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, other people might be when people make decisions without input, they just make their own decisions and everybody's got to follow and wrap around it. Yeah, and you mentioned about structure and process and quality and things like that. Other people are triggered when there's too much yeah. or they perceive it as too much yeah. and they want to be able to improvise, adapt and, yeah, and, and be spontaneous sort of, and, and, and creative. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so triggers are, I think, you know, just to set the scene on this before we go into this, the triggers are unique to different people. You will all, if you do your testing with us here at T2, you'll all have a different list of triggers that are unique to you and your personality type. Um, knowing them is incredibly important because they are the keys to your success because you will only be the best version of you and productive and navigate conflict and, you know, drive results and all of the stuff that we need to do if you're managing your triggers. If you don't manage your triggers, you're going to be forever pissed off, challenged, compromised, irritable, you know, and that's not going to allow you to operate at your best. So you've got to get used to your triggers. You've got to know them and you've got to deal with them. You've got to recognize when they arise and then you've got to deal with them appropriately to keep yourself on track and in best self. So we've done a lot of this, haven't we? Yeah. And we often work through with people around their triggers and how they can be better at recognizing them and manage them. But I've created a bit of a top 10 list, Spence. Oh, we like top 10 lists. We like top 10 yeah. lists, right? And we'll, we'll, we'll see what we'll get for time because we are do it in one go. We'll have to come back and do a second part, right? <laughs> so you keep an eye on time and yeah. let me know when we've got like two minutes to go. Yeah. But um, top 10 list of everybody's different, right, in the way they respond to triggers. But what is you universally relevant across all human beings is that there are 10 pitfalls that we classically fall into that doesn't allow us to manage our triggers in the first place. So let's go through the 10. And I want the listeners who are listening to this, if you've already been through print, listen to which ones you resonate with. And if you haven't, still listen to these 10 things in the context of, you know, you won't deal with pressure and stress and challenges very well if you fit into these 10 things or some of these 10 things. Yeah. Should we go through them? Yeah, yeah. Kick us off. So the first pitfall of trigger management, let's call them the pitfalls of trigger management. The first pitfall of trigger management for people is when they react instead of responding to them. Right. Yeah. Some people will resonate with this. Some people won't. So we've got me and you in this room. Yeah. I am a reactor (laughs) and you are not. Right. We'll come to you next. But um, (laughs) what I mean by that is when we get triggered, the chimp is activated. We get highly emotive. We feel threatened or under threat. And we react very quickly based on chemical responses and emotions because survival and self-preservation is our number one innate function. When we react without taking a moment to reflect and think, it doesn't always serve as well. No. So the first pitfall of trigger management is when the trigger happens, somebody says something in the office, somebody happens, somebody challenges you in a meeting, whatever it may be, and you just react. Yeah. I mean, we, we do say... Um, emotions go up, IQ goes down. We, we're living in that emotional, that, that it is an emotional reaction rather than a, an informed response, isn't it? And and as you said, it's a natural thing, but we can manage that, can't we? Yeah. We, can, we can manage by recognising it, we can manage it. Absolutely. I love that saying. I, I have a slight different variation for people who don't, and this is not a disrespect, who don't fully understand what we mean by IQ, but mm. I would say 
emotions go up and rationale goes down. Yes. Or yeah. or logic. Yeah. It's like part of your brain that that absolutely stimulates the emotional response, the gut feeling goes right through the roof in seven to ten seconds, mm. probably a nanosecond actually, and therefore your rational and logical thought process goes through the floor. Mm. If we react to a trigger in the moment and we don't respond, it doesn't always serve as well, and that's where people go wrong. They try and correct it later down the line because they feel guilty, but the damage can be done. Mm. Right. So number one pitfall to an I fall foul of this. I don't think you do, Spence, because I don't think you're a reactor. We'll come to the next one. Yeah. But you're not a classic in the moment. I'm going to react unless you're in the car and it's road rage. Yeah. Which you're terrible for. Yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so if you're out there and you're a bit, you know, when the emotion is high and, you know, and it's a bit hot, do you just react? If you are a reactor, then you've got to pause and you've got to understand that the best course of action to a trigger is to try and take some time to respond accordingly with logic and not just react. Fight, flight or freeze. We always knew it was a good idea to count to 10. We never knew why. Well, we do now, right? <laughs> Number two, the second pitfall then is when we retract instead of responding. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if the reactor reacts, the retractor doesn't like uh, addressing triggers, doesn't like getting into a state of conflict with anybody. So they will just be triggered, have the response, feel compromised and challenged. But the way they deal with it is they just go off and withdraw. Yeah. Yeah. That's me. That's you generally, yeah, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I just, I, I, because of my unconscious motivators, I don't, um, conflict and um, confrontation doesn't sit well with me, which is ironic, really, because I was a professional bully for a while. You are, right? Yeah. <laughs> professional bully being Spence used to interrogate special forces soldiers and anybody who observed the Geneva Convention um, by sort of torturing them in a way. So, yeah, well, yeah. you know what? Everybody's got to have a hobby, haven't they? <laughs> but, but yeah. But you, when I first met you yeah. and you was like peace and harmony yeah. and amiable and didn't like conflict and like three months before I'd seen you screaming in somebody's face on the telly, I thought <laughs> just shows you, doesn't it? Yeah, you don't understand people really yeah, from a yeah. surface level. But just as the reactor causes a quite hot and counterproductive response, the retractor, the person who withdraws from the trigger, what happens is the trigger then festers because you don't deal with it, but then you think about it and you build up resentment and you start dwelling on it mm -hmm. and it grows bigger, right? So actually by retracting from your trigger and not having a conversation or dealing with it there and then, I actually think that that can be worse than the reactor. At least the reactor gets it off the chest, right? It causes chaos, but then mops it up very quickly. The retractor can build silent resentment over a period of time because if they're not dealing with the triggers and people are blissfully unaware that they're triggering them, it's a problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's, there's something there where... Um, the reactor, the, the the retractor, rather than the reactor, the retractor. If the re, if the retractor observes it, retracts in the moment, but then readdresses it, then who knows? May, maybe that's something. But the retractor generally doesn't do that, and that's why in both statements it mm. says instead of respond. Yeah. The, the the right the right thing to do in both scenarios is respond. Mm. In order to do that, you need to take a moment, engage the rational brain, yeah. and then respond timely. So don't react, respond, but don't retract and just not deal with it. You've also got to respond. And I think yeah. if you get that right on the first two pitfalls, we'll be good. Cool. What's the next one? Number three, we assume intent when a trigger happens. So what I mean by that is someone pisses us off, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody says something, somebody narks us in a meeting, somebody, 
you know, um, I don't know, makes us feel uncomfortable or we feel like we're being attacked or whatever it might be. There could be many different triggers, right? Or somebody bypasses you and goes, speaks to the team and you feel that they're intentionally muscling in on your territory or whatever it might be. Mm. The first thing that we're designed to do under survival is we'll assume that that's a personal wrongdoing, that there's some intent there against me. Yes, yeah. In our observation, Spence, 99 times out of 100, people trigger other people unintentionally. They're not even thinking about what you're going to react think to this. It's just that I'm in the moment trying to do something and I've probably unintentionally triggered you in the process. Mm. And I think that the reason why I think that's a pitfall is because when we assume intent, then we make it personal. Yes. And again, when just, just sort of linking these triggers back to that, um, that chimp, that we were talking about earlier on. The chimp has the capacity to reframe things to suit its own agenda. So when you perceive things as being personal, the chimp will validate that. Yeah, for sure. Give it, bring in evidence along. Usually it will always try to justify why it's right yeah. and very rarely challenge why it's wrong. And then it'll store a memory in your computer bank to pull up on at a later stage, which then starts to go down a, a road of bias. Yeah, yeah. So... What we've got to do with triggers is the first thing I always say to people is if someone's triggered you, if someone's behavior or actions have compromised you, the first question you've got to ask yourself is, look, is this intentional or unintentional? Trust me, 99 times out of 100, you'll come to the conclusion that it was unintentional. It puts a completely different connotation on the situation Mm. and you're more likely to go and address it. Yeah. Look, I know you didn't mean this. But when you walked into the office the other day and started speaking to my team about this project and I was sat there and you didn't even consult me, it undermines me a little bit because I'm driving that project. Mm. So we need to collaborate and then we need to go to the team. Ah, sorry, Martin, got you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I know it's unintentional. I can address it. Number four. This is the one I hate the most. (laughs) Number four, the fourth pitfall of trigger management is when you don't want to deal with it with the person because the person might be a strong character or you might get met with a bit of resistance back or you don't want the conflict or whatever. So you go and recruit allies Mm. for support and to support your narrative. Yeah. It's the gossiping. Yeah. It's that I aren't going to address my triggers in the moment or with the individual or individuals, but I'll go and have secret squirrel conversations and moan and bitch to other people about what's happening. But I'm not going to deal with it with you. Mm. And then almost always in organizations, people talk. You can, you can trust hardly anybody, right? <laughs> so it comes back round to the person. Oh, so-and-so said this, that you uh, really upset them in that meeting last week and that you've been doing this for a while now. And, and then we've got World War Three because the trust has gone, the secret conversation's going on, and this, and all the person's doing who's been triggered is they're trying to get some support. They're trying to sort of go, oh, I feel really, I feel like this, but I need to get a second opinion that I, that it's not just me. And if a colleague goes, oh, yeah, I, I agree, that's really out of order, then all of a sudden you've got an ally. Mm. I think it's wrong. I live in a world where if you've got a problem, you have a discussion and it maintains trust. As long as you have a discussion in a productive manner, right, and it maintains trust. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like this one. I don't like it if I find out second nature, people are saying one thing to me 
and saying another thing to other people. Yeah, yeah. So recruiting allies for support for me is a no-no. No. That was number four, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Number five. <laughs> I'm going to get your response on this. Uh, number five is the fifth pitfall of trigger management is when, do you know that old saying go when someone says, well, I, well I'll forgive, but I won't forget. <laughs> well, I've got a saying that actually is more accurate than that. I'll forgive, but I won't forget, which is code for I'm not really forgiving. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get it. How do. do you how do you forgive but not forget? If you're not know. forgetting, then you're not really forgiving. Now, I sort of get it, and there'd be a counter argument for it. But what I sort of um, think with trigger management is, if someone triggers somebody or compromises somebody, and they'll go right, okay, we'll talk about it, and I'll fit, forgive, but I won't forget that. I will hold it in the back of my memory. Yeah. So anything you do in the future that's remotely similar. I'm coming out I'm straight. It back I'm at throwing you. it yeah. straight back at you. That's what it's saying, right? And I don't fully think, therefore, that <clears throat> that 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 solves the situation. No, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's uh, it's I don't, it's it's it compromises your integrity, doesn't it? And yeah, yeah. I just uh, well, I think you need an element of going. Everybody's human. And everybody makes mistakes. And if we've generally discussed it and someone's held their hand up and said, I got that wrong, then you need to give a little bit of rope and go, listen, I've got loads of things wrong myself and people have given me a shot, right? Um, you know, I love, the, I love it here at T2 because we've been working together now largely between five and seven years, all of us, mm. you know, got a really good settled team and it hasn't been without its triggers and its yeah. challenges. And we've all, yeah. we've all had a little bit of a, a moment with each other, yeah. but we don't carry it on and on and on. No, we don't let the resentment build and go, I'm going to throw that back at you in three years mm. because um, that's going to really inhibit your ability to manage that trigger again and again. You're just waiting for it to happen rather yeah. than actually putting it to bed. And you've also got the other person who's walking on eggshells yeah. with you because they don't want to do something where you're going to throw it back at them. So you don't have a productive relationship. Well, let me ask you a question, Spence. Anybody who's ever said to you, well, listen, I forgive, but I don't forget. Remember that. What do you think when they say that? I just give them short shrift. I really, I don't have much time but, for them. But I defy anybody to listen to someone who says that and go, oh, you're a really nice person. <laughs> I like and trust you. <laughs> what it what it sort of does is go, ooh, you're a little bit feisty and, uh, you, you know, you're clearly not one to be crossed. And then that's when you say trust and rapport is, is inhibited. I tread on eggshells and mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, if yeah. the minute something goes wrong, you're going to pick me up on it. So you've never, ever looked in the eye of someone who said that statement and gone, oh, do you know what? I would trust you with my mortgage. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Next one. Number six. I always debunk this statement. Number six, mm. the sixth uh, pitfall of trigger management. People who have the notion and the narrative and the mantra of, I treat people how I would like to be treated. Yeah. You treat me well, you know, you treat me how I would like to be treated and I will treat you how I would like to be treated. Now, you know, it's badly mistaken, that phrase. Mm. I mean, everything we do in print and understanding personality types and drivers and motivators and differences is designed to absolutely rip up that statement mm. because I'm a firm believer that you need to treat people how they would like to be treated. Yeah. And to do that, you need to understand what that looks like. Yeah. And I think people use it mistakenly because I think that they they think it's a good thing. Because, I mean, we've talked about this before, and I'm a firm believer in what they actually mean is 
I will treat people in the manner I would like to be treated, in the fact that I will treat people respectfully and considerately. And that's great. But actually, what you really want to focus on is these people are different. You're yeah. different. And, and and I get that. And I do agree with you there. Absolutely. And um, I think the reason why in I actually think this fuels triggers. So when you make that firm statement of, I see the world in this way and I have these values and I have this view and every other 7 billion humans on the planet needs to align with me because we'll get along just fine if they do <laughs> because then you're going to treat me, I'm going to treat you how I would like to be treated, you're going to be treat me how you would like to be treated and everybody, it's all going to be aligned, right? Yeah. It's fundamentally flawed because you'll get it badly wrong with some and you'll get it right with a few, right? So, you know... I think it fuels triggers because you're setting yourself up for fail when you look at the world and say, I treat people how I would like to be treated. Yeah. Because when then people don't like it and when people challenge you or have a difference of opinion, you're going to get pissed off and triggered more than 10 times a week easily, right? So I think it's a it's a foolish statement. And I think you make a good point about the manner, hmm. maybe respect and all that type of stuff and empathy and all that type of stuff. But we're very, very different people. you know. Um, so I think it's a it's something that people fall foul of. Yeah. Number seven, the dark triad. Oh, hey, little finger to the mouth there. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Evil. No, the, the dark triad is a term in psychology for um, the the top three, the dark three personality disorders. Yeah, so psychopaths, psychopaths, Machiavellians, and narcissists. Yeah. And generally they are disorders, personality disorders that lead people into counterproductive be behaviors, criminality, manipulation, etc. Yeah. Uh, and I love the term the dark triad. So I've got the dark triad of like leadership or right. like the dark triad of, you know, workplaces. Yeah. So the dark triad of personality types that will always struggle to manage their triggers are mm -hmm. number one, perfectionists. Yeah. You. <laughs> well, <laughs> Yes, yeah. You, you resonate with that one. I right? do, yeah, I do, I do. The perfectionist is always setting themselves up if they're not aware to fail because they see the world as perfect. They see every task as perfect. They see every plan and agenda and working day as perfectly panning out. And it just doesn't work out like that way, does no, it? You know, no. I'd hardly ever, if ever. Mm. So the perfectionist is constantly potentially setting themselves up to be triggered because the world's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Does that make and sense? Yeah, it does, does. And, it's, and it happened to me um, frequently, I'll say frequently, until I really understood why I see the world the way I do. Mm. And now I've ma I manage it quite well, I think. I, I sort of deal with it you quite do. well. I think that you do. And, you, and it's been... A, but in the early days, even the slightest disruption to the perfect plan... Mm. You know, on training day, yeah, there was nine bottles of water instead of ten ready for the customers, or there was one uh, training pack short, or a, a random delegate turned up who wasn't on the original list. Yeah. Anything like that, I just throw you off on it. It'd yeah. be like, oh my god, like yeah. I was in control and now I'm not. Yeah, you know, because it's not perfect. Yeah, because I I don't want somebody to be looking at me and thinking that I didn't prepare or. Uh, or, or whatever. So yeah, it's it's got that capacity because it's not perfect. Yeah. Second member of the corporate tri dark yeah. triad is uh, control freaks. Me, That's you. <laughs> <laughs> so people who I don't have a strive for perfection. Probably have a little bit in me at times on certain things, but all the time I don't have a strive for perfection. What I have a strive for is 
uh, delivering outcomes and progress and therefore me being in control of stuff means that I can deliver the outcomes in the timeframes. Hmm. So when I'm not in control of stuff and my timeframes are slipping and the outcomes are being pushed, yeah. triggers the hell out of me. And then that lack of control. So if I've delegated something to Dylan or Lydia or Claire or whoever, and I'm looking at them, I'm building up frustration because I'm thinking, I asked for that on Monday. I'd have delivered it by Tuesday. Hmm. Why are we on third? What I'm not appreciating at the time is Dylan's got another 5 million things I've asked him to do <laughs> and he's got it on his list, yeah. right? But control freaks struggle because when they're not in control of everything, it really, you can get triggered from every angle. Hmm. And the reality is you can't control everything. No. In fact, you'd be a poor colleague, teammate, leader if you was trying to control everything. Third member of the dark triad, the warriors. The procrastinators, right. the what-ifs, the people who are just constantly looking ahead, Spencer, and going, I don't want anything to go wrong. Well, guess what? Things go wrong all the time. So you're setting yourself up for failing. Hmm. So if you're listening to this, on this particular pitfall, number seven, the dark triad of corporates, hmm. right? Are you a perfectionist? Are you a control freak? Or are you a worrier? If you tick the box of one or two hmm. of those... You're setting yourself up to fail yeah. because there's triggers everywhere surrounding that sort of stuff. And if you sat there thinking to yourself, well, that last one that you talked about, the worry is because there's things that are going to go wrong. If you're sort of comparing that to the um, the perfectionist at the beginning and sort of saying, well, aren't they very similar? Well, they, they can be seen as very similar. But from my perspective, that perfectionist is focused on what they want to achieve, whereas the worry is focused on what they want to avoid. Yeah. And challenge so, and thrust yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's, it is, it is different. I can yeah. see that. Yeah. Number eight, misplaced accountability. Now this is a big one because I think I would say 99% of human beings fall foul of this, including mm. all of us have at some point. But yeah. what I mean by that is people who think it's everybody else's, um, everybody else's, uh, responsibility to not trigger me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of leaders we get through our course where they go, listen, there's my triggers, everyone. Don't do it. <laughs> if, if you all don't do that to me, we'll get on. Well, actually, that's not the right way around, right? No. What we should do is place the accountability on ourselves to manage our own triggers. If mm. we all take charge of our own triggers and we don't have to be triggered in the first place, that that's where we you know, find a fighting chance. Yeah, yeah. So don't misplace accountability on this one by saying it's all your responsibility to not trigger me. Yes, you can help me by understanding but I, the accountability is on me yeah, to, yeah. if it happens, I've got to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. Number nine, awareness of micro triggers. <laughs> so <laughs> let me paint a picture. Well, very quickly on this before yeah. we wrap up with the last one, you get up in the morning and you have an argument with your other half micro trigger one. Yeah. You can't find your car keys to get out the door to do the school run micro trigger. Number two, you finally get in the car. The kids are kicking off and fighting micro trigger. Number three, you then get stuck in traffic and you're late for school. Micro trigger, micro trigger. Number four, you then finally dart to work and you're 10 minutes late for the meeting that you were supposed to be in at nine o'clock, micro trigger five. And then one of your colleagues goes, here he is. <laughs> what time do you call this? <clears throat> and you blow up, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, the point <laughs> there is it's not your colleague's comment that's the problem because in a normal day, under normal circumstances, in best self, you'd have had a laugh with that and gone, wait, this, that, the other. The reason you've... You've, you've blown up is because of the five previous micro triggers. You've been put in a pre-state of stress by little triggers building up. So what people do is they're unaware of this happening. They're unaware that they're getting triggered 
micro-triggered along the way that puts them in a state, like an incubator for the stress response. Yeah. So you've got to be aware of your micro-triggers. If you feel like things are building, smile, take a moment, intervene. Yeah. Okay. And the last one, Spence, personal Mm. resilience and catastrophization. This is Mm. just a nice way to round off the 10 pitfalls, right? Yeah. If you are not very resilient anyway, and you're ultra sensitive, yeah. and you catastrophize every response and every situation, it's a hard place to be. And sometimes you get yourself into this zone as a result of all the other nine happening regularly, or you're not dealing with them very well. You can get yourself into a state of ongoing anxiety and worry. Your personal resilience goes down, and you're just catastrophizing every comment, every scenario, every decision. If you get yourself into this pitfall, that's where you need some intervention. Mm. You know, we coach people a lot when they've got themselves here and it's about building back up that personal resilience to yeah. not being so sensitive every yeah. day. Yeah. You that's you know what? That's a, a cracking way to finish off the 10, to be honest with you. It's uh, I'm sure having listened to all 10 now, I'm sure there's everybody out there that's, that, that can identify with uh, with most of them. And not with others. So you might go, that one don't get me, that one don't get yeah. me. Not number six and seven, but definitely number eight. Yeah. And then yeah. you might go, well, no, number eight don't get me, but six and seven do. So mm. pick the ones, listen to it back, pick the ones that are your pitfalls Yeah. and start working through how you can avoid them. Yeah. And that's the way to it. And we'll maybe follow up with some video content on this and pathway content with some action guides and stuff like that, Spence. Yeah. Make, make, make changes, take charge. Excellent. Good stuff. Well, with uh, 29 minutes and 21 seconds on the clock, Martin Johnson, absolute pleasure as usual. Thanks, Spencer. Um, And uh, we'll be back soon with another T2 Hubcast. So until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 